Welcome to Research Radio, Series 2, Episode 2. Research Radio is a podcast series that brings evidence-informed child welfare research to life through interviews with leading researchers. New this fall, the Research Radio podcast will highlight researchers whose recent publications have been reviewed by the Child Welfare Research Portal. To access these full reviews, please visit www.cwrp.ca and click Research Watch. This month, we are honored to have with us three participants on Research Radio. Dr. Kushman Rahedran, Dr. Brenda Smith, and Dr. Lynn Videka will share with us their research on the association of caregiver social support with the safety, permanency, and well-being of children in child welfare. Uh, my name is Kushman Rajendran. I'm an assistant professor at the Department of Social Sciences, Human Service, and Criminal Justice at the Borough of Manhattan Community College of the City University of New York. And I'm Brenda Smith, Associate Professor and PhD Program Director at the University of Alabama School of Social Work in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I'm Lynn Videka, Professor and Dean at the New York University Silver School of Social Work. This study was undertaken when we were all either faculty members or students at Albany State University of New York. Please briefly describe the research that we'll be speaking about today. We obtained a grant from the United States Children's Bureau, and the purpose of the grant was to stimulate research based on the National Study of Child and Adolescent Well-Being. This study is the first nationally representative probability sample in the United States of children and their families who are served by the child welfare system. This grant supported the research we're going to talk about today and produced at least five other doctoral dissertations or papers using the NSCAW data, that's the acronym for the study. And this is a secondary study of the NSCAR data set that explores the role of parental social support in enhancing child safety, permanency, and well-being, which are the three outcome goals of the U.S. child welfare system. Could you just outline what that acronym was again for me, NSCAW? N-S-C-A-W, and that stands for the National Study of Child and Adolescent Well-Being. And would someone explain how the study came to be, why you chose the topic, or if anyone has any particular experiences that inspired them to develop an interest in this topic? Sure. This is Brenda. First, all three of us share an interest in how social environments, including neighborhoods and communities, affect families. And in my case, I started doing child welfare research years ago in Chicago where I interviewed parents and foster caregivers all over the city in different neighborhoods, including in many public housing high-rises that have since been demolished and don't exist anymore. In visiting families, it was so clear that the communities in which they were living were so important, both the challenges of the communities, of course, but also the strengths of the communities. And we often focus on negative aspects of poor neighborhoods and of public housing. And there certainly are negative aspects. But when I visited families in public housing, I often observed very strong connections among families who live there. And I hadn't read much about that. 
So through this work, it became clear that if we in child welfare address parents and families outside the context of their social environments, we could overlook potential strengths of social support networks. And some years later, Lynn and I began talking about these ideas, and with a group of doctoral students, we received the Children's Bureau grant she mentioned to study how community social capital relates to child safety. And the initial ideas we were talking about really took shape once we connected with Cushmond, and they ended up evolving into the study that we're talking about today. And I want to add that there's really a substantial literature on the role of social support in human life, and there's strong evidence that the levels of social support that people have are very highly associated with their well-being. When we're talking about social service systems and we're looking at the needs of clients from the point of view of the provider, I think we sometimes forget how important social supports are in everyday life and how vital they might be and how positive they might be when a family needs social services. So we were particularly interested to look at the role of personal social support in addition to social services. I think the interest that this work is really rooted in will resonate with many of our listeners, particularly those, I mean, I can speak for Toronto, but other urban centers. So thank you very much for sharing that because you're right, we do often forget about those personal social support networks and how important they can be. So with that, could you walk us through your key findings from the study? Sure. Uh, this is Kushman here. So this research used multiple ways of assessing social support that caregivers have, and we linked them with the three broad goals of the child welfare system, which are safety, permanence, and well-being. We assessed social support based on both caregiver and caseworker report. For the caregiver report, we included a number of different types of support, such as help in taking care of children, help to go out and do things, to give advice for important things, help to get transportation, help when you're sick, help with housework, and so on. So these Forms of social support were also assessed on two dimensions, that is how satisfied the caregivers are with this support and the number of people they can call on for this kind of help. And caseworkers also reported on whether or not the caregivers could be considered at risk because they didn't have too many people help out, to help out with different issues. So we found that different indicators of caregiver social support were related with different child welfare outcomes the caseworker report on low social support was related with child safety, that is whether or not the initial report in child welfare was substantiated. This shows that caseworkers are really quite good at differentiating caregivers who are probably not getting the informal help that they need and therefore increasing the risk of children being abused or neglected. Uh, the number of supporters that the caregiver reported was related with child well-being, that is, whether children had more internalizing or externalizing problems. This is important because children who are behaviorally having trouble, who are dysregulated, they put additional stressors on a family, and this might be part of an unhealthy cycle leading to long-term problems in children. Finally, we found that both 
caregiver reports of satisfaction with social support and caseworkers assessment of low social support they were both related with permanency that is the number of days that children spent out of the home so given the enormous amount of resources that we uh, put into ensuring that children are given a stable home environment it seems that any resources that we could allocate to help caregivers feel more supported by their families and friends is likely to save a lot of resources that might go into removing children from home and monitoring them in temporary homes apart from the very real human costs to children and their caregivers arising from this instability so no matter how one cuts it social support was related to children being safer feeling and behaving better and staying put in their permanent homes particularly in communities where agency resources might be tight i think this is a very interesting thing to highlight helping families and supporting them to use their own communities and their own social supports to mm-hmm. you know help each other out there in what ways can practitioners really benefit from this understanding of the role of social support child welfare as we know is all about keeping children safe and secure in homes so families who feel supported they seem to do a better job of taking care of their children and children who grow up in families that have a lot of informal support tend to behave and feel better so practitioners can benefit from understanding that involving friends and relatives in the process of helping families is really good both for caregivers and for children to feel connected to society i would add that social workers and case workers really have to be paying constant attention to how they can help build and enhance social supports for families engaged in child welfare services so i i think that some newer intervention models like family group decision making and care planning these enhance the attention to social supports and to the role that multiple people in the family social network can play in ensuring safety and well-being and stability for the child so i do think we have some new intervention models that use this uh and i think that whatever intervention model the social worker is using that that he or she should be mindful of the role that the informal supports play uh for each family and help also help the family build informal supports because very many families come into the child welfare system and they demonstrate a very low level of informal supports on their own and this is Brenda I just first want to say that we have so much respect for child welfare workers and even more so for those who are listening to a podcast like this about how to bring research into practice. Absolutely. Um yeah. And you know, child welfare workers have so much to consider when they investigate or visit families and often the challenges families are facing jump right to the forefront and can become the focus of interventions and formal services. and we hope this research in the context of similar studies can help child welfare workers with their efforts to focus on family strengths and we hope the study can affirm practitioners decisions to ask about existing informal sources of support and we think that this kind of research reminds practitioners and researchers that even the most challenged families have strengths to build on including their social networks and that families can be helped by informal 
sources of support as well as formal services. Do you know, if any yet, any tangible outcomes of your research, either for practitioners or service users? Sometimes it takes a number of years before a particular direction of research can build enough momentum to influence practitioners and how they function. So it is intuitive that helping families feel supported is going to be good for children. And more and more research that shows this is likely to help practitioners and policymakers integrate relatives, friends, neighbors, and colleagues in the helping process. I would say that new methods of communication and social media, uh, including doing radio programs and podcasts like this one, are a great way to get the word out. And, and we're thrilled to have this opportunity because very often that can reduce the time that it takes from the research publication to practicing social workers, hearing about the results and thinking about it for their own practice. Absolutely, and I definitely agree with you both. It's so hard now that we're doing the podcast for these brand new studies. Some of them we contact when they're still in press. I mean, you're right, it could be years before you actually see the outcomes, but even if the research confirms something that we thought we might have already known, it is so nice to see it in print and to know that someone has taken the time and the money and the resources to really confirm that and give us something to base our practice on. So very helpful, and we do hope the podcast will encourage workers to support their families in reaching out for social support as well. So we thank you very much for doing the work. I'll just add one thing about the NSCAW study. Uh, and again, we didn't collect the data. We did the secondary analysis. But I think that the findings from this particular study, and there are probably hundreds of articles published now analyzing the data from this study, and I think that this study has particular power because it is based on a national probability sample of children and families served by the child welfare system. So its representation is very much better than what the previous standard in the field had been. And I think that this means that the results are likely to be so much more accurate in terms of the work that caseworkers are doing from all around the country. We're right. trying to build those methodology notes into our resources. That's a perfect and very comprehensive just description of the importance of the sampling and the methodology when we're considering research. Thank you very much for throwing that in there at the last minute. That's very much appreciated. You have been listening to Research Radio, Series 2, Episode 2, a conversation with Dr. Kushman Rahedran, Dr. Brenda Smith, and Dr. Lynn Vadeka. Research Radio is produced by Practice and Research Together a membership-based organization that promotes the understanding and use of evidence-informed practice at all levels of the child welfare system. For more information about this episode's topic, Research Radio, or Practice and Research Together, please visit www.parkcanada.org. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at PartEIP. That's P-A-R-T-E-I-P. Thanks for listening.